If you are kind of new to church or if you were once in church and you came back to church, you dread that people are going to talk about this. This is one of those sermons this morning that if you invite people to church, you dread that the pastor is going to talk about what he's going to talk about. But the reality is we're going through the whole book of Acts. And as we're going through it, there's some, uh, some uh, teaching aspects in there. And so what we're going to talk about today, I just want to warn you, and I'm going to do it with as much love as possible. Uh, I'm, uh, as for those of you who know me, you know, you, you know my heart, but we're going to talk about money today. Money. And yeah, if you've got money, you're like, woohoo, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you haven't, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of stuff. How many of you have got a lot of stuff? Yeah, and then the ones who haven't had their hands on, I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff. You know, there's something, I think, in the human mind that says that we must gather as many things as possible, and then when we gather them, we must gather even more. And the more that we gather, the happier we will be. And then once we've got those things, a lot of us, we don't even like them, or we don't even use them, but yet we still Hold on to them. And it gets even worse when those things that we gather are valuable things. We think that because they are of value, then we must value them. I'll say that again. Because we think they're of value, then we must value them. So often, that's how we rate if something is valuable or not in our lives. How much it actually costs. What is it worth? And we, we value sometimes the things that cost us the most. You know, uh, I, I have uh, a wardrobe that is probably too big for a guy. Um, I've got like too many clothes. Um, and it's not my fault, it's not my wife's fault. So I'm just blaming my wife. She buys me those clothes. But, but I, I just have too much stuff in my wardrobe. And the reality is, is that I would say half the stuff in my wardrobe doesn't fit me anymore, or I don't like anymore, or I wouldn't be seen dead in that anymore. Uh, but a lot of that stuff in my wardrobe once cost me a lot of money, because at one time, you know, I didn't buy clothes on sale, which I do now. But it cost me a lot of money. And I've got things in my wardrobe, and sometimes every morning I look at it, I'm thinking, what is that doing in my wardrobe, but yet there's something within me that wants me to hold on to it because I think it's of value. Because I've paid a lot of money for it, uh, I don't want to just give it away. And some of the things are so bad, nobody would like ever buy them at all. But so often we hold on to things. You know, one of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. And in the second Lord of the Rings, there, there were, we were introduced to uh, a little hobbit called Smeagol. And uh, Smeagol, uh, one day he found a ring. And this ring looked like it was of value. And so he held on to the ring, but this ring had powers and it kind of consumed the person who was holding on to that ring. And uh, we, uh, we see that there's Smeagol and then Smeagol has turned into Gollum. And he goes around saying things like, my precious, you know, stuff like that. I can't do a good Gollum accent. But then there's this, this little creature, Smeagol or Gollum, whatever you want to call him. And he's got this ring, and he holds onto it. And this ring starts to consume his life. Starts to take hold of him. 
starts to change his appearance, change his life, and he's so consumed by this little ring, this stuff, that that's all he can think about. You know, I hate clutter. Hate it with, with, with a passion. In fact, if I meet a hoarder, or if I go into a house of a hoarder, I start, like, getting stressed out. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, when we got, like, stuff out at home, or, you know, we've done the laundry, and we folded the laundry, and it's, like, everywhere all over the living room, I like getting stressed out. I've got to go put it away straight away, because I hate clutter. And, and, and for me, I just like, the, I like good things, but I like the simple things. And so I'm not a hoarder. But when I start to look at my spiritual life or look at the depths of my soul, I start to realize, even though physically I don't hoard, except for my wardrobe, I hoard in my wardrobe, but I don't hoard, spiritually there's something within me that wants to hoard the things that I've attained in life or I've gathered in life. And so as we look at the book of Acts, we see a community that is just very different to what we see today. We see a community that I would call would be an anti-hoarding community. They honestly believed at the bottom of their hearts what they owned, what they possessed was not their own. But it was for everybody's to share. I don't know, maybe it was the fact that they were just from a different time period. Or it was the fact that these men and women, they were just not driven by stuff. I mean, let's be honest, they didn't have iPads or iPhones or Apple computers or, you know, they didn't have uh, Playstations or Xboxes. So, I mean, they wouldn't be driven by stuff, right? But maybe there were people who were driven by stuff. But this community, they were not driven by the stuff. Their bank balance, it seems that it did not dictate their lives. The pressure to move up on the corporate ladder seemed foreign to these people. I mean, you never hear of Peter saying, man, I want to get as many boats as I can and, and monopolize all the fishing in my, in my region. You don't hear of things like that going on. I bet when you met these people for the first time, they didn't ask you, hey, what do you do for a living? Or they didn't ask you, where, where do you live? Or what car do you drive? I bet when you first met these people, they didn't pull out their, their iPhone 5 and, and, and compare it with, with, with your old school flip phone. Or they're, they're, I bet when you first met these people, they didn't check you up and down to see what you were wearing, to see if what you were wearing was fashionable or not. Or, or whether the ladies had a, a coach handbag or whether she bought them from Chinatown in New York instead. You know, I bet the first words that came out of their mouths were more like this. Do you have any needs? Do you have any needs? Can we help you meet any of your needs? I wonder if the first words that came out of their mouth was, have you ever experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? Can I help you with your walk in the Lord? Can I, can I explain the things of God to you? You know, this community, they had a mentality. What's mine is not mine. But yet, so often, in this day and age, we have a mentality as what's mine is mine. In fact, this community, they believe what's mine is the Lord's. Let me, let me, let me show you. In Acts chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to... And verse 12. Sorry, verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. 
says there, it says all the believers, not just some of them, but all of the believers, so everybody was part of this church, were united in heart and mind. And they felt what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Did you hear that? They said there, they believed what they owned was not their own. What they owned was not their own. That is just so foreign to us. So foreign. I mean, we think, you know, I go and buy something. You know, I go to the store, I buy it, it's mine. But these people, they believe what they owned was not their own. And then it says this, and, 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 and that's one thing, but this kind of blows my mind. It says there were no needy people amongst their community. No needy people amongst their community. Now, have you ever been part of a community where there's no needy people? Let me tell you this morning. Here at this church, we have great people part of this church. But there's a lot of people, you guys are in need. And you, are, you have needs, and some of those needs aren't even being met. And you need to meet, and you need to meet those needs. Some of you don't know how, how you're going to meet those needs. This community right here, said that with no needy people among them. That's just kind of foreign to me. I've never been, seen a, a community where there are no needy people at all. But yet, that was this community. How can you live in a community where there are no med- needy people? i tell you how you can live in a community where there's no needy people. When that whole community has a mentality as, what's mine is the Lord's. What's mine is the Lord's. So foreign. So foreign for us. For me, I mean, I grew up in church, but yet we were still very much what's mine is mine. It's like we put a privacy fence around our house because we don't want people getting in. We lock our doors because we don't want people getting in. We have our time to ourselves because we we, we don't want to let people into our lives as much. But this church right here had a mentality as what I own is, is not my own. You know, it was very biblical to actually think that. In, John, in, in, in the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, it says this. It says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So if you have a surplus... So if you, have, if you have more than what you need and you see someone else who has a need, 1 John 3 is telling us, if you don't have compassion for that person, then how can God's love be in you? Well, that's kind of pretty deep. I mean, that's like, whoa. Then Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 
and verse 19. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't hoard where moths eat and rust destroys them. Where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rusts cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And he says this. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. What you value is where your heart is. What you value is where your heart is. And then 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Do, you do not belong to yourself. For God brought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So here we, we, we got three scriptures that are telling us, if you have a surplus, then if you've got God's love in you, you should look on compassion upon those who are in need. And then he says, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Don't hoard and hoard for yourself. But instead, place those treasures in heaven. Because wherever your heart is, or wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there. And then, and then he says, you are not your own. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Did you know that when, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he died for your sins? He went to the cross and he died for your sins. And then he says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall, be rece- you shall be saved and receive his salvation. Well, before Jesus died on the cross, men and women were what we call slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. That means they weren't their own. They were like a slave to the sins of this world. And when Jesus came, the Bible says that Jesus purchased your life with his life. And he bought you with a price. Which means we are now children of the living God. Which means now we belong to God. So you have a choice. You you, you can be a slave to sin, meaning that you're not your own, but you are sins. Or you can be a child of Christ, which means you're not your own, but you are God's. And whichever whichever uh, choice you make, it shows that you still are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So that means your body is not your own. Your family is not your own. Your home is not your own. Your career, your future, your possessions, they are not your own. But if you are a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, they are the Lord's. They are the Lord's. And when you start to understand and realize that where you put your money, where you put your values, that is the thing. Or put your possessions, that is the place that you value most. One thing I I, I would like you to do this week. And it's just a little exercise. Go and take a look. Bring out your your bank statement. And for those of you who don't look at your bank statement, I would encourage you to go and look at your bank statement. Pull out your bank statement and have a look at where you spend your money. Because... Where you spend your money shows what you value. 
Now, for me, if you were to pull out my bank statement, you would see, geez, Alex, you spend too much money on your house. And you spend too much money on food. And your wife spends too much money. Just period. Kind of a kidding. But it would show that's the things in my life right now what I value. And I, I did that this week, and I looked at my back statements, and, and it convicted me because I was like, I'm valuing too much in possessions. So I encourage you to do that. And then the second thing I would encourage you to do this week, pull out your schedule. And look at where you're spending your time, because that's the things that you value. Where you spend your time, that is what you value. And if your time is all about yourself, then you're probably just valuing yourself. It's not about helping others or, or reaching out to others, you know? And you need to spend money on yourself, and you need to spend time with yourself. I, I, I totally, totally agree with that. But when that's all we do, that's what we value. And the Acts Church, they had something different about them. Instead of valuing possessions or valuing status or valuing getting ahead or making sure that they were safe for retirement, they valued their faith. They valued the church. They valued the community that they were part of. And they realized that they were the lords. And because they were the lords, they were now part of this new family. And they valued this new family. So that was the Acts Church. I want to introduce you to a couple who didn't believe this. Who didn't have the mentality of what's mine is the lords. It's found in Acts chapter uh, 5. Starting at verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananus, who with his wife Sophia sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananus, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So, an, as, an, uh, so sorry, as soon as Ananus heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Wow. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Yeah, me too. Somebody came in, lied, and they felt, and God struck them down. I'd be terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this, was this the price you and your husband received for your land. Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out also. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else heard it. Or everyone else heard what, what had happened. 
You know, in every community, whether it's a church, whether it's a social club, whether it's a group of friends, I think there's always people who look out for themselves and not for other people. People who are kind of fake. People who want to look to be doing good or look to be more spiritual than others. And in this community, God was moving in incredible ways, but yet there was a couple, an Annas and Sophia, and they were just these people. You know, this couple, I think they wanted to be seen as righteous. Obviously, they had money because the Bible says that, or, or, or history tells us that, in those days when people owned land, they had money. And so these people, they owned land. They probably had excess land lying around. And they sold, the, they sold the land, and then they got money for the land. And then they come to the apostles, and they give half of the money, and they told the apostles, this is everything that we got for the land. They wanted to be seen as righteous. They wanted to be seen as, as those people who were like super spiritual. The Bible tells us that there was a man called Barnabas who sold a field and gave to those in need. And you can just imagine everyone looking at Barnabas was like, wow, look what that guy did for the rest of the church. I mean, he sold a field. He sold something that was so valuable and he gave it to the church. And I bet an Annas and Sophia, they were thinking, we want that kind of credibility like that, that Barnabas did. But yet, these two were totally different. These two did not have a, I am not my own mentality. Instead, they had a, I am my own, and what belongs to me is mine mentality. These people, they lied. They couldn't release the whole amount to the church. And now God struck both of them down. And to me, it seems a little harsh. I mean, I'll be honest. If I'm like talking to God, I'm like, God, that was a little over the top. Did you like not have your coffee this morning or something? I mean, that was just a little too much that you struck these people down. But when you start to, to, to look at, at what goes on underneath, you start to understand why God was so harsh with this couple. And the first reason is, it's because they were fake. They were fakes. I've discovered that God hates fakes. God hates cheap copies. If God was a woman, he would not shop at Chinatown. I tell you that. God hates imposters. And these people, they came in and they lied to the apostles. They lied to the church. And most importantly, they lied to God. These people, they were different behind the scenes than they were in front of the scenes. Different behind the scenes than they were in front of the scenes. And they were imposters. And I tell you one thing that God does with imposters. God always exposes imposters. And these two were imposters. They weren't really part of this community. They came into this community trying to, 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 to gain status for themselves. But yet, they were fakes. And I think God struck them down because they were fakes. I also think that God struck them down because they were not generous. They were not generous. 
You know, there's a story in the Bible where there's a Pharisee who comes into the temple and he gives all this money to the temple and he's looking around thinking, hey, look, look, look what I've given to the temple. Look what I've given to the church. And then there's this little old widow who, who walks in and she's got like two pennies that she can't even rub together and she puts them in the offering plate. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know what? This woman has given so much more than this man. Because there's a principle in the Bible, and the principle is this, equal sacrifice. Equal sacrifice. Not everybody gives the same amount. And and, and as a church, uh, one one thing that we do on a Sunday is we, we encourage people to give their tithes and their offerings. But it doesn't mean that everyone gives the same. It doesn't mean that we have a uh, membership subscription that everyone must give so much a week or so much a year because we don't believe that people should give the same. But we do believe that people should give sacrificially equally. And this couple and Annas and Sophia, they did not give sacrificially. They did not give sacrificially. Do you know why? Because they weren't generous. They weren't generous people. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says this, it says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That would kill a bunch of TV evangelists, wouldn't it? Just saying. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then verse 8, I'm not sure if it's on the screen, but it says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. There's something about God. He loves people who give generously and cheerfully. Ananas and Sapphira were neither. They gave to look good instead of doing good. They gave to look good instead of doing good. And let me tell you this morning, if you give to this church just because you want to look good, then I'm going to ask you to stop giving. Because it does no good for you, and it does no good for God, and this church will take care of itself. If you give reluctantly, then just stop giving. Because God doesn't like that. God loves people who give cheerfully and generously. Cheerfully and generously. And when you give, whether it's to a church or to others, give cheerfully and generously. Don't be stingy. Don't complain about it. For God loves people who give with the right attitude. And then when you give with the right attitude, that is when God blesses you. You know, I... I grew up in a Christian home, and from an early age, my parents taught me to tithe and to give to the church, and so I've done that all my life. But there has been periods of my life where I've struggled, and maybe struggled financially or struggled in a church because I didn't always agree what was going on, and there were times when I reluctantly gave to the church. And I tell you this morning, when I reluctantly gave to the church, they were some of the most most lean years financially for me. 
And I tell you, I'm not rich. I don't have a whole lot of money. But what I've discovered is that when I give generously and cheerfully, God blesses me and God supplies my needs. And then I have even more to give to others. God loves a cheerful giver. So I think God shook these people down because they were fake. They weren't generous. And finally, and I think most importantly, I believe they were lovers of money, not lovers of God. Lovers of money, not lovers of God. There's a couple of scriptures that talk about this. First one's found in in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. It says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So God here is saying, don't love money. Because when you love money, it becomes the root of all these other problems that happen in your life. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one And despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The truth is, when you love money, when money becomes more to you than a means, when it becomes more to you than a tool, then it will start to take over your life and eventually destroy your life. We are not sure why this couple chose to withhold. We're not sure why they said, Yeah, we're giving the full amount, but really they were keeping some for their little back pocket. God was not angry that they kept money for themselves, you know. If they had come to the apostles and said, look, we sold the field and we're giving half the money to the church, God would have been, great, that is just what I want. But the fact is, is they lied about it. That's why God was was so down on them. Because they tried to deceive people. And when you love money, money takes control of your life and you start to deceive people. You, see, you start to, to do things in your life that are totally uncharacteristically unlike you. I've seen so many pastors who have been just so consumed by money that it's destroyed them, destroyed their church, destroyed families in the church. And if somebody loves money, eventually their life is going to end in destruction. And this morning, I ask you, what are you valuing today? Are you valuing God and all the things that God has given you? Or are you valuing money? Is your God money? Like Ananas and Sapphira. God was not angry with the actions. God was angry with their heart. And you know, after this episode, the Bible says that a great Fear came over the entire church. I mean, let's be honest. You know, I mean, imagine this morning if one of you just gets struck down, you know, a couple. I mean, I'm going to be pretty fearful. They realized at this point, I think there was no more messing around. This was the real deal. And you know what? Today, it's still the real deal. Money grips us. Money consumes us. Money directs us. You know, I've had a lot of people who ask me, uh, you know, ever since we started Generation Church, why why don't we pass an offering plate during the service? Like every other church in the whole world passes an offering plate. 
Why do we pass an offering plate? And I want, I want to tell you why we don't. I remember when we started the church, God was just working on Raquel and my, my heart. And we'd spoken to a lot of people, and a lot of people had come out of church we'd spoken to, and they were just so put off because it felt like church was all about money, gaining money, getting more money, you know, collecting money for this thing and that thing and that, you know. And, and, and they would see that people in the church were struggling, but yet the leaders of the church weren't struggling. You know, and I think that there's an issue there. If you've, got, if you've got a church where people are struggling, but the church is building great big grand buildings, there's an issue of stewardship. I also think it's an issue if people are doing really well for themselves, but the church is struggling as well. There's an issue of people's hearts right there. And so when we started the church, we decided God has told us to plant this church. God said he's going to be with us and direct us. And so God is going to have to provide for us. And we don't want to put people off by coming to the church because they think it's all about money. So we decided to put a, a drop box at the back. And some people have said, well, you'll, you'll, you'll miss out on this person putting in and that person putting in. And for me, it really doesn't matter. And you know, there has not gone a day gone by, there's not gone a Sunday. Well, there was. There was one Sunday when we first started. We had $90 in the offering. And I was like, oh my, what did we do? But there's not been a day, a Sunday gone by, a week gone by where we have had a deficit. Every Sunday we've been able to meet our needs and God has supplied even more so that we can help start meeting other people's needs. Why? Because I honestly believe it's because we have trusted in God. In a down economy where churches of thousands are struggling, this little church, we haven't struggled. Because I honestly believe that we've put our trust in God. And I ask you today, is your attitude towards stuff, are you a spiritual hoarder? Are you hanging on to things that the Bible says that moths and rusts destroys? You know, I want to be pretty honest with you this morning. About 20% of our church takes place, takes part in what I would call the spiritual discipline of tithing. And what I would call the spiritual discipline of tithing, some people believe that, that tithing was for the Old Testament. I, I, I believe for myself, I tithe, I believe it's, it's a New Testament thing and an Old Testament thing. What a tithe is, a tithe was a, uh, the first 10%. First 10% of crops that people would grow when they were farmers, they would bring to the temple. Uh, when, when people sold possessions and sold things, they would bring the first 10%. into the temple. And that may seem a little low to you. You may think, you know, 20%, wow. You know that's pretty high for churches in America, 20%. Pretty bad. The average is more like 10 to 15% of people in churches take part in the spiritual discipline of tithing. And the reality is our churches aren't broke. There's a lot of churches out there building pretty big buildings. They've got a whole lot of money. But I honestly believe that this is one of the reasons why our country is turning faster away from God than it is turning to God. Not because our churches are broke, because they're not. It's because the hearts of people are hoarding. What's mine is mine, not what's mine is the Lord's. When people in a church hang on to their money, 
when they have a what mine is mine mentality it destroys. I honestly believe in the church. The divorce rate in church is almost just as much as it is, in the, it, it is out there in, in the rest of the world. And one of the biggest reasons for divorce is money. And I think it's because we have this what's mine is mine mentality. But the fact is, we are not our own. We have been brought with a huge price. And Jesus Christ brought you with his life. So your wage, your salary, your possessions, your family, your time, it's not your own. It's the Lord's. And you know what? Many people don't like to hear that. I'm sure this morning you're thinking, oh man, I'm hating this sermon. Well, you know, and Alice and Sophia, they thought exactly the same thing. As we close today, because our time's gone. I want to read one more scripture to you. It's a controversial scripture. A lot of people don't think it's applied today. But I think it's in the Bible for a reason. It's found in the book of Malachi. Very last book of the Old Testament. So if you find like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just go back. And Malachi is just before Matthew. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. It says there, it said, Should people cheat God? Yes, you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God says this, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great You won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, says the Lord God. This is the only place in the whole Bible where God says to someone, I challenge you, put me to the test. If you bring those tithes into the storehouse, God says, I will bless you. I will bless you. And I'll be honest this morning, I am a, a witness of that in my life. I've seen it in my parents' life. I saw it in my life. And I've seen it in many of your lives this morning. When you have been committed to bring the whole tithe into the Lord's house. God has blessed you. And sometimes you may think, well, I just can't afford to tithe. Trust me, I've been there. Some Sundays I put my, 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 my offering in. And sometimes I think, I can't afford this. I'm going to have to transfer some money from savings over to my checking account just so I can, I, I can pay my tithe. But the reality is this. I can't afford not to tithe. I can't afford not to tithe. For when you have what is a, what's mine is the Lord's mentality, God blesses beyond all comparisons of anything that you can imagine. And Annas and Sophia, they only brought part into the storehouse. They robbed God. God told the Israelite people, test me. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm not asking for your money. And please, honestly, I'm not. Because I don't even look what's in the offering plate. I don't. We have other people who count, other people who, who, who do the finances. I don't. 
I'll be honest, I don't even know how much we get on a Sunday in the offering. I'll be honest, I don't. All I know is that God is supplying, we're meeting our bills, you know, we have excess. So I'm not asking you for money. What I'm asking you, put God to the test. Put God to the test. And when you put God to the test, God will show up. Because what's yours is not yours. What's yours is the Lord's. And it's a big old cliche. I've heard lots of people say it lots of times. But God can do so much more with 90% of your income than whatever you can do with 100% of your income. Whatever. And some of you this morning, you, you, you may not believe that tithing is no longer a biblical practice. And I'm fine with you not believing that because there's a lot of people who don't. But what I do know is that God says, let a man decide in his heart how much he should give because God loves a cheerful giver. And so you decide in your own heart what you should give, whether it's to this church, whether it's to another church. You know, it doesn't really matter because it's all the Lord's. Let's pray. As you've got your heads bowed and your your eyes closed this morning,